Let's get to Pittsburgh. New president of hockey operations, Kyle Dubas. To introduce you all to Kyle Dubas, the Penguins president of hockey operations. Since we became stewards of the Penguins, we've only heard outstanding things about Kyle. As GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs, he helped guide the Leafs as a perennial contender since he joined them in 2014. We've all met a number of outstanding men and women throughout our interview process, but the more we talked to Kyle, the more impressed we became by his philosophy, his integrity, by his plans for the Penguins, and by his leadership skills. John and I also want to thank Shannon, Kyle's wife, for supporting Kyle's decision. Jen Bellano is one of the outstanding tour guides of our community, and I hope she never leaves the organization, but she can become the president of the Pittsburgh Chamber of Commerce after her tour for Kyle's family. Kyle's work starts today, but I again want to thank him for joining the Penguins organization and for his commitment to return our team to greatness. Ladies and gentlemen, Kyle. Good afternoon, everybody, and um, very honored to be here today and, and join the Pittsburgh Penguins as the president of hockey operations uh, for the club. Um, I first want to take uh, the opportunity to thank uh, Tom, John, but in addition, Sam Kennedy and Dave Beeston um, for the way that they handled uh, the entire process. Uh, we heard from them uh, basically the next morning after uh, my time in Toronto came to a close um, and began a process whereby um, it was very clear to our entire family um, that their commitment to winning and delivering a great team every single season on and off the ice in Pittsburgh was paramount. Um, to them and, and to the entire Fenway Sports Group. Um, when it comes to uh, making us feel comfortable enough to, to make this move as a, as a young family, uh, all of the credit uh, needs to go to Jen Bellano and Jason Seidling uh, here with the Penguins. Um, last week, they did an incredible job with, uh, with my wife Shannon and our two kids, Leo and Lennon, showing us around the city, um, making us feel comfortable uh, in the city, uh, enough to the point where uh, on uh, early this week, we made the decision that uh, that this was going to be the right move for us in the long term uh, to make home and grow our family. Um, every single thing that I've heard about the city of Pittsburgh and the people uh, in Pittsburgh uh, has been proven uh, very true by our experience here and getting to know the staff that we have and being able to uh, tour the city in the way that we have. So there's a deep uh, um, feeling of appreciation from our family to uh, to everybody that's that's made us feel very comfortable in this decision. Um, through the course of this process, I had the chance to speak with uh, Coach Sullivan and Sidney Crosby. I thought that those were very important people for me uh, to get a real deep sense of where they felt the organization was at and where it would be going uh, so that I knew coming in uh, what, uh, where they felt the Penguins were at and what they felt the Penguins would need for somebody in this role. Um, those conversations, a, a number of conversations with Coach Sullivan, but uh, also the conversation with, uh, with Sid were paramount in, in my decision to come here. They're some of the best competitors uh, in hockey. Uh, obviously, uh, Mike Sullivan's record as a coach and Sidney's as a player speak for themselves, and that is one of the most exciting parts about, uh, about coming here to, to Pittsburgh to work with uh, the people that are up with me here, but also uh, every single day on the hockey operations side. Um, I see this task ahead of us as a two-pronged effort. Uh, in the short run, it's uh, continuing to make decisions 
that are going to allow the team to be competitive uh, while the core group of players uh, that have led the team here to championships in the past uh, continue to uh, perform at the levels that they have for as long as they can and make decisions that will support them uh, in the lineup every night um, that will allow the team to continue to contend uh, each season while those players are with us. At the same time, the work will also begin at uh, delivering a long-term hockey organization that can be the class of the NHL um, and to reduce any gap in time that there otherwise would be from the end of those great players' careers to the next era of great hockey for the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's our intention, and that's the work that we'll get started on um, as soon as we wrap up here. Um, and we're very, very honored to be here uh, and join the city of Pittsburgh and the Pittsburgh Penguins. At this point, I'll turn it over to any questions that anyone may have. Hey, Kyle, welcome Hi, to Pittsburgh. Uh, hi, Tom and Dave. Um, uh, will there be a general manager, sure. and what are you looking for in that candidate, sure. and what type of time frame do you want? Um, uh, thanks for the question, Rob. I think that the, the way that we'll I'll handle that is, uh, I mean, in, just in meeting with, uh, with John, Tom, Dave, and Sam, it was very clear that um, the, the amount of work that they've done and how thorough they were in, in the search it was fairly impressive to me, and they've met with a lot of people. Um, I think that is also, I think it, with it being June 1st, it might be uh, a little difficult to gain further permissions to meet with some of those candidates regarding a general manager position. So my intention is that uh, I'll handle that on an interim basis here uh, through uh, to July and then begin to uh, go through candidates and make the decision that's, that's best for the hockey department. Um, if we do uh, go down that path, I, I think the type of person we'll be looking for is someone uh, Progressive that can really add an element to the organization that perhaps I, I don't have as a as a skill set um, uh, in some regard. For for Kyle, um, do you think the Penguins' window to win a championship is still open, and maybe what areas need to be improved upon to make that happen? Sure. Um, the way that I looked at this and, and going through this uh, uh, decision, Taylor, from my end was that uh, I heard and talking to people who. Uh, once it kind of started to circulate that this was a position that we were considering after things uh, wrapped in Toronto, um, I heard a lot of people that were uh, highly skeptical of, of the team's ability to contend here. And um, the way I view it is that if people want to bet against Mike Sullivan, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, and others, they can go ahead and do so, but I'm going to bet on them and, and go with them here. So um, I do think that it's a group capable of contending to win a championship. I do think that we need to build out the, the depth of the group uh, and uh, supplement the greatness that those people bring each day. I think there are some of those pieces that are already here, but in the next several weeks we'll get to work on, on more of that at the same time, uh, really uh, having a huge amount of focus on the long term as well. Kyle, for you, as far as your conversations with Crosby, you mentioned that twice in your opening comments. What did you need or want to hear from him before accepting this job about what you referenced at the end, the eventual gap between when some of these great players do retire and what the future holds? Sure. Thanks, Tim. Um, what, I, what I wanted to you know, be able to have a discussion with Sidney about was, was where he felt the team was at, but more than anything, to be able to sit with him and ensure that he still, uh, that winning was the number one thing for him. And uh, it was very evident in talking to him that winning is his major focus every day. And I think that when you have people like that, that are 
constructed in such a way that winning and, and the competitiveness that that takes and the desire that that takes to execute each day enters into the building, I think that can reduce the gap between the end of, of those players' careers and the next era of, of great hockey here because that lifts the whole group and that lifts the whole standard. So if we can do good work on the long-term building while those uh, players and the coaching staff are still, well, like Sully can coach forever. I mean, he's a, he's a great coach. So there's no real expiration date on, on Mike. On the players, I think, you know, everyone looks at it and says they're, they're their age is what it is. So how much longer does the group here have? And when I talked to Sidney Crosby, it was very clear that his only intention and desire is to win. And that's what I wanted to hear because I think that can have a massive impact on raising the level of the players that come in behind as prospects or younger players that we're able to acquire here in the next stretch. And that uh, character of him, his character, and that of the group can reduce the amount of time it's, that you're alluding to in the gap between what's now and what's next. I didn't ask that, no, and uh, no. So he's got two, two more years. Yeah. So he's got two more years left, and we're, you know, we'll we'll address that when we can. That's not till next. Uh, we got 13 months. So, yeah. Uh, here, Kyle. Uh, welcome to Pittsburgh. Thank you. Um, you have a draft coming up in four weeks right. and free agency a couple of days after that. Right. Obviously, you can't be that familiar with Pittsburgh's personnel and organization. Who will you rely on uh, to give you input you know, on which players should be retained, mm -hmm. what you need in free agency, what draft prospects look like, that sort of thing? Sure. Um, thanks, Dave. I, um, I, I try. I think in the, it's, it's the responsibility in this job, and especially because Pittsburgh was a conference rival uh, in my prior post. I try to uh, stay as up-to-date both at the NHL level and the AHL level with every team. So I have my feelings on the group that's here. I have my feelings on the free agent class. Um, but when it comes to who I will rely on here, I'll obviously rely uh, heavily on the coaching staffs at both levels, at the NHL and the American League level, for their insights on the group. And then just in going through this process the last uh, few weeks, it's been clear to me that there's a, there's a very good group of people here in the background um, that, that people speak very highly of. And then as I've begun to see their work in the last few days, I think it'll be very helpful for, for me in, in going through and uh, informing that. As it pertains to the draft, I think last week um, the, the amateur scouts were here and, and preparing for that. And it is a draft that, uh, that I do have a, a fairly decent knowledge on and we'll use the next four weeks to focus on the draft and free agency to make sure that uh, we're armed with the information that we need to make the best decisions. But in terms of who we'll rely on, uh, we'll rely on every facet of the organization that's in place as well as um, perhaps elevating some other parts of the organization um, and, and the input that they can provide. Hi, Kyle. Um, you have a reputation for being an analytics guy. Uh, how much does Kyle Dubas really, as an executive, have to do with analytics? How much is not involved with analytics, just philosophically? And, and when you look at this organization, do you think some changes need to be made in that department and maybe some additions? Um, well, what I would say is I, I uh, grew up, um, for one, in, in the locker room in Sault Ste. Marie and then in scouting and then in player development. And what I came to, I know that that's the reputation, uh, but what I, what I came to deeply appreciate was that the data and objective information uh, can provide you with a lot of uh, a lot of detail and a lot of great insights that you can use 
to make better decisions. And so um, I, I just met the, uh, the staff here very briefly on my walk uh, over to, to this. Um, so I don't know the exact extent of the work that they're doing. Um, they all have great reputations. And if they need uh, uh, more staff added that add different elements, uh, that's the route that we'll go down. And, and those have been the discussions with, with Tom and John, Dave and Sam uh, about what the, the ownership group and, and what the, the uh, management group at Fenway Sports is willing to do here to, to help the organization. So uh, it'd probably be uh, presumptuous of me to say exactly what we need. I know what we, what we had uh, in Toronto. Um, in, I think the key on it, Josh, is the integration of all of the departments. So I think that data and uh, analytics can help to serve player personnel, uh, player development, high performance, um, in, in addition to systems and tactics and whatever Sully and the coaching staff need. So I think it'll, it'll be trying to integrate them all. When in Toronto at the start, it was tough. Um, there was the, the walls or silos between. I don't know exactly what exists here because this is my first uh, 15 minutes on, on the job. But once we get through that, it'll, the, the goal that we'll be looking for is to have a deeply collaborative uh, group that works together and, and uh, serves to work together. And, and that's what we'll try to uh, expedite here as quickly as possible. Hey, Kyle. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the few years you spent as the GM of the Sioux Greyhounds. Um, what did that experience mean to you on a personal level, level yeah. given your ties there? And, yeah. And how did those few years shape who you are today as an executive and, a, and as a person as well? Um, my time, I mean, I, I'm from Sault Ste. Marie and, and growing up in Sault Ste. Marie, um, that was really my dream job. It was I, I, didn't, I didn't look at it and say, I want to be an NHL general manager, president of hockey operations. I, when I grew up, when I was growing up, I wanted to be the general manager of the Sioux Greyhounds, probably the way someone who grows up in Pittsburgh feels about the Pirates, Steelers, or Penguins. Um, and that was my dream job. And so to be able to do it, uh, I think I'll always look back and, and reflect um, so fondly on that. Really, I, I grew up in the organization. I started working there when I was 11 years old. They offered me a scouting position when I was 17. Dave Torrey, who was the general manager at the time, and then gave me the general manager position at 25. Uh, I made a lot of mistakes um, every step of the way. and. What it really taught me was to how to handle the pressures of the job. I'm from Sault Ste. Marie, so every single place you go there, that the team is everything in the city. Um, so the, the media uh, scrutiny and pressure was high, um, and the criticism was a lot, especially the first season. And so it taught me how to deal with, with that, which I think served me uh, well uh, in my prior post. And um, it really formed everything of how I feel about hockey and, and what I think about, about hockey. And you're continuing to always change that, but also in, in leadership and leading a group of people, uh, how collaborative you want to be, how you want to treat everybody, and, and so on and so forth. So I could talk about Sault Ste. Marie and the Greyhounds forever, but um, you know, it, it means, it, when looking back on it, it's tough to put into words exactly how much it means, other than it probably means everything to me getting started on, on this path. Kyle, how hard will it be to affect real change with this roster, given the age and the amount of no movement causes? I believe there's eight. Sure. Thanks, Mark. Um, I think that um, 
you know, th those are those are obviously very real situations. Everyone everyone knows that that they exist. To me, the the effect on it um, surrounding you know whether it's surrounding the no movement clauses or the core that's here is is what we can add in terms of depth uh, depth pieces. What we can add in terms of younger players, whether it's by trade or or free agent acquisition. Mark, that that'll be the real key that we'll set our focus on, and then. In the next several weeks here, we'll, we'll begin to get a, a temperature for what the value is of all of the players in the market um, and, and try to move this roster back to a point where I think the, the major focus is, number one, is, is inside of our division. That's the way that I always looked at, uh, look at things is, you know, rather than try to stack ourselves up against all 30, uh, 31 other teams, is okay, let's focus on our division and, and let's focus on trying to win our division. We play the most games there. Uh, that's what's going to set our playoff seating. We've got to be inside the top three to lock ourselves in, and, and our goal is going to be to win the division. So um, for, for me, it's going to be a, a hard look. Obviously, in goal, there's big decisions that need to be made on defense, and both at the top of the defense group and on depth, there's big decisions to be made up front. There's less big decisions to be made, but there's more of, of what you speak of in terms of um, the number of commitments there. So it's going to be taking this next several weeks to sort through that. I think by the I don't know what the schedule is for. Uh, I'll do what Jen tells me in terms of uh, media commitments. Um, but by the time we have our next session, whether that's at the draft or, or prior, um, I'll probably have a very a much more clear and definitive uh, answer for you, uh, rather than just uh, high level stuff like today. Kyle, you just touched on it a little bit, and you did just get here, but there might be an important decision to be made when it comes to goalie and Tristan Jari. Sure. Just how do you evaluate that position as he currently stands, and how much do you prioritize uh, Tristan Jari this offseason? Sure, I, I could tell you exactly. What we'll do here is, uh, having not been with Tristan every day, I obviously uh, I'll, I'll rely on uh, Andy Kyoto, who's the goaltending coach, and, and Mike um, in terms of what he's all about as a person. I'm, I'm, I'll probably uh, try to take the chance to meet him myself and get to know him. It's, it's a big decision for the club. Um, and then it's going to be doing a very thorough evaluation of uh, Tristan, where he stands in, in the marketplace, Get a, get a real scope of who's going to be available, whether that's in free agency or trade. And then if, if Tristan is at the top of that, at, at the top of that uh, mix or in that mix because he's familiar and you know him, it, it'll be to try to uh, establish uh, a, a concept that can get done with, with he and his agent. But uh, that's, that's a big priority because uh, goaltending is, is vitally important, as, as you see. It's also difficult to project and, and predict, and there's a lot of variance year to year um, in terms of performance. But... Um, you know, that's that's the method that we'll take here and really in the next 48 hours 72 hours and Kyle welcome to Pittsburgh in yeah. your final press conference with Toronto mm -hmm. you expressed just how difficult of a season it was sure. on you and your family mm -hmm. why was this the opportunity uh, it, it was and I mean maybe I was too honest that day um, with how I was feeling in, in that exact moment uh, so uh, but it's in the past um, the way that we viewed it was when we came to the last day there, so Friday the 19th, or I think that's the date and I have in my head. Um, when we got home the next day, uh, you know, you get inundated with calls, texts, people want to come over to the house. It's, it's nice, but it's also sad. And then you, uh, the way that we viewed the next day was very early the next morning. I was on the phone with one of our staff there and I had a, a 617 area code call and I hung up and it was a message from Sam 
um, who told me that uh, they had permission from Toronto. And my initial inkling was, you know, we need to take a breath here um, before we entertain other options because that was our intention at the beginning of the week. And my wife uh, then, you know, later in the day said, I, I actually think you should go and at least meet with them because, you know, she said it's, if they're great people and they have a long-term view of the organization, it's going to be a great fit for you uh, in terms of what everybody is about that you're going to work for and work with, uh, and, and the staff has a great feel, then we're going to be moving anyway now. So our kids are going to be six and two. Uh, Leo will be in grade one next year. Shannon's view was if we're going to move, we may as well move now before the kids are too entrenched. And so um, that was the first step. I, I had a very long meeting um, with Tom, John, Dave, and Sam at John's home on the Sunday, um, which was, it was to say, from my view, it was just a remarkable meeting in terms of hearing the way that they view a sports organization, the way that they want to build things out, the short-term competitiveness, but the long-range uh, capacity to build this, uh, an organization that can sustain success. Then it was, you know, having time with, with Sully and Sid to see what kind of people they were. Because, I, I mean, I, I can look from afar and think I know them, but um, getting to know them was important to me uh, as we went through it. And then, um, really, the, the closer came in on, on Saturday, Sunday with Jen and Jason, with our family coming down, and they really felt extraordinarily comfortable here. And it's not, a, you know, the other part of it is, is you know, on the family side, it's it's all of those boxes were checked in terms of, the people that I'd be working for and with, the people in the organization that I had met were incredible, and everybody in the city that we, we interacted with was incredible. And um, then once uh, Jen and Jason uh, were great with showing us around, uh, we all became very comfortable with the idea. So it wasn't the intention going in, but seeing that we were going to have to move anyway, you never know that if you pass on this, is it's an opportunity to work with these people and, and for a city like this and a group like this going to be available. And so we, uh, we jumped in today with uh, both feet. So. Congratulations, Kyle. You mentioned um, s supplementing this core with depth um, and, and bringing in better pieces there. Is there a specific archetype or, or player style that you'll be looking for, whether it be players who are more possession-based or whether they maybe have play a little bit more of a grittier or grindier style of a game? Sure. Uh, Sully and I have had a very brief discussion on this. I think, uh, obviously, the, the top end of the forward group um, I think is very, very good. I think you look throughout the league and to have that group that's there and, and whatever whatever formation you want to place it on that night um, is going to be good. You know, you, I mean, you, have, you have Jake Gensel and Crosby on one. You've got Malkin centering another. Wherever you want to put the other pieces uh, around, you're going to have a good group there. Do we need another piece at that level to really put us over the top? And what's that going to, you know, the team does have a, a very good opportunity with the salary cap this summer as well. And there's about $20 million in space. So it's, do we need a spot? Do we need a piece there to supplement? Then it's what types of players do we want in the bottom half of our lineup to me that can deliver the game back to those top players in a good spot. So they're not hemmed in their own zone, uh, but you know, they have utility, whether it's penalty kill being able to drive the puck down the ice in the end I think the there's a, a deep alignment which is another reason why I'm here today and the fact that those players are going to have to be super super competitive but they're also going to have to be good 
And so being able to find those, those types of players is going to be very important over this next stretch. Examining what we have here on a, on a deeper basis, I think it was Dave that asked about that my familiarity with the organization. Of course, you know the top players, but it's really getting the, the read and digging in more on film on the players that have performed at the, call it the bottom six, if you will. And then on defense, um, you know, it's, it's going to be going through and, and determining what exactly we need or, or what are some of the younger guys that have, you know, played a little bit more last year, what they're capable of in stepping up and decisions there as well. But that's, the, that's how I see it in the next several weeks. Tom and Dave, question for each of you too. Um, looking at this search nearly two months long, was there anything, how do you evaluate the process, the search to find Kyle and um, this process? Was there anything that surprised you or anything unexpected throughout this? Sure. Um, well, I think the process was a massive success because we're sitting here right now with Kyle. So uh, we were really happy. We, we ran a robust search as, as everyone was aware of. We took our time because I think we said um, the last time I was up here with you guys that we wanted to get it right, not, not do it quickly. And so I think we're really, really happy with the way it ended up. Uh, for, for Dave, for Dave, or I guess, Tom, you could chime in too, but I think Dave. Um, having gone through this process now and having been owners for, what, 20 months or whatever it is, um, what do you view the brand of the Pittsburgh Penguins to be? How does Kyle tie into that and why a president uh, as because it originally was going to be a hockey leadership search why, why specifically this role well, we're first of all we're very proud of the uh, history of, of the Penguins uh, as hockey fans we know the legacy that uh, we've inherited and uh, it's our, our our goal to as I said in the beginning to return to uh, not just being a contender but to win a Stanley Cup um, our, our, our philosophy is really one of, of giving Kyle and his uh, associates the, the best possible resources to win. Okay, you're listening to the Kyle Dubas Press Conference in Pittsburgh. For listeners on Sportsnet 590 The Fan, we will break away right now. You will be headed to the Jays and the Brewers game. Meanwhile, back to Pittsburgh and more of the Kyle Dubas Press Conference. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And uh, welcome to Manager Day, or President of Hockey Operations Day. Uh, you just heard from Cal Dubas, the new President of Hockey Operations for uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Before that, we had a long, you know, extended conversation with Elliot Friedman about the uh, uh, the earlier press conference with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Brendan Shanahan introducing, um, you know, Brad Tree Living as the new General Manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. We want to get to some of the uh, the audio that we heard um, from Brad Tree Living earlier on today. In the meantime, uh, we'll bring aboard Matt Marchese here. Uh, Matty, a, cu- a couple of things standing out for me from the Kyle Dubas press conference. One, I mean, he really went uh, out of his way every chance that he got to talk about two people specifically. Well, first of all, he talked about, you know, Jennifer Bellano, who's, you know, outstanding and, uh, in Pittsburgh and has been for a number of, of years. And Tom Werner mentioned her specifically for giving the family the tour and sort of warming the Dubuses up to the to the Pittsburgh market and the Pittsburgh organization. No surprise there. But he really went out of his way to mention Mike Sullivan and Sidney Crosby, who are, as we all know, key to all of this. 
um, and said a lot of the things that, you know, we, we thought he would say, namely, you know, uh, he's not going to bet against Sidney Crosby. Uh, he's not going to bet against Malkin, not going to bet against Latang. Uh, he talked about this team needing to be competitive and having some cap space this summer, uh, namely $20 million to play with to make this team, to continue to make this team uh, more competitive uh, and maybe, you know, uh, for their purposes, lead to a championship or at least getting close uh, to a championship. And the one thing that I've noticed about the Pittsburgh Penguins over the past few years is, you know, this is a team that when they're on and when they're hot, they look fantastic. But we always talk about bicycle theory. And as long as you keep pedaling, you don't fall off. The minute the Pittsburgh Penguins stop pedaling, man, they really do fall apart. Like that's been one of the things about the Pittsburgh Penguins for however many years here. Um, it's an, it's an elite team with elite skill, but if they take the foot off the pedal, even slightly, the whole thing kind of falls apart. But Dubas really did go out of his way, uh, to big up Sidney Crosby. That's an obvious one. Mike Sullivan as well. Um, he talked about a couple of interesting things as well, namely, uh, tough to get at this point in the season, uh, teams to grant permission to talk to people who could act as general manager and mentioned how he would work uh, on an interim capacity uh, as the team's general manager. And I know that there are some, and I include myself as one of them, uh, who believes that, you know, Kyle Dubas, much like the setup in Vancouver with Rutherford and Alvin, you know, he still has the jam and the juice to to be the GM and, and call those shots and make those decisions. Not that any GM that comes in will be a puppet, but it's going to be a very collaborative effort, we suspect, uh, between the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins and the president of hockey operations, most notably Kyle Dubas. But he did mention tough to get permission from teams now that we're in June, uh, whether it's Darsh or Tulski or whomever he has on his mind, um, Spezza, uh, to act as a uh, as as a general manager uh, at at this point. Said so he's going to stay on until I think he said in an interim capacity until July, and then see where they're at and hopefully bring someone in that takes them past the draft and it takes them past the initial couple of days of free agency as well. W- what stood out to you from the Dubas press conference? Those are a couple of things that that you know stood out for me. What about you? Well, firstly, I think the fact that he is the president of hockey ops is the most interesting thing to me in all of this, because that's what he was kind of looking for in Toronto. The guy who's going to have, you know, the final say on things and and speeding up the process and all the things that go along with it. So I think that was important. But, you know, the GM thing was interesting in that. I mean, maybe Jason Spezza does not join as the general manager i don't think that that would be a thing but it does kind of lend itself to how kyle is thinking about filling that position doesn't it um because he wants it to be a broad search and he really wants to have the the right guy in place my guess is he's got some ideas on who that would be which is part of the reason why he's saying i'm just going to handle this on an interim basis and in july we'll you know we'll we'll start the process or, or whatever the case may be so i think that gave us a little bit of insight mm-hmm. into wh- how he was thinking um i thought the stuff on tristan jari was interesting because you know he talked about uh you know having a conversation with uh andy kyoto and 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 mike sullivan as as well as you know getting to know tristan jari a little bit and then figuring out where he fits in the marketplace. And when we talk specifically of the marketplace and the goaltending market this offseason, Tristan Jari is still one of the best goalies available in free agency. So they're going to have to make a decision unless they can somehow trade for a goaltender, 
maybe before free agency starts, you'd have to think that Tristan Jari, despite all of his struggles, is still going to be near or at the top of the list of goalies that could potentially be available. Mm-hmm. You know, w- one thing that we should point out, and I thought it was pretty interesting, the way that he um, he described what type of general manager he wants uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, he talked about, this is Dubas, he talked about, you know, wanting someone who can think progressively, but, and again, I'm paraphrasing Dubas here, um, someone that can think progressively, but also has a skill set that Dubas doesn't have. So what do you think that is? Well, there's a, there's a constant thing. Like it was even brought up and I, I don't remember the reporter that asked him, but well, Kyle, you have a, an analytics background and all of that stuff. Um, I, I wonder, cause you, you know, the, the topic of, you know, Jason Botterill is not going to go work for Kyle Dubas. I, I kind of agree with that. So I feel like it's going to be someone who's maybe even more analytically inclined than Kyle is because any of the kind of old school type GM guys are older and probably wouldn't work under Kyle Dubas. And if you kind of get what I'm saying here, like, I don't think it's going to be a veteran guy that's going to go work there, I guess is what I'm saying. Here's, here's what I, here's what I thought when he said that I I thought that was him describing Jason Spezza, because the one thing that Jason Spezza can bring to that position that Kyle Dubas can't is he played in the NHL. Yeah, it's a good point. I think I think honestly, I think it's that's that simple and that blunt. That that is the skill set that Cal Dubas can't bring to the mix. That Jason Spezza yeah. played and played against all these players on the Pittsburgh Penguins. I don't know. Maybe I've got a little experience my, too. Yeah, you know, and, and it would it would fit and he's used to working in collaboration with, with Dubas. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much in between the lines here. Maybe my Dubas decoder ring is off here, but to me the whole subtext of every time he talked about the general manager and people around him, it almost seemed as if he was, without saying the name, he was describing Jason Spezza. It's he very valid set that Kyle Dubas doesn't have name namely, he played in the NHL. And don't forget how quickly, you know, Jason Spezza resigned. Stepped down, left the organization after Cal Dubas was uh, was dismissed um, by uh, by the Toronto Maple Leafs. That was the one that I came back to. Like, okay, he's talking about Jason Spezza here. You know, the interesting thing as well is you know using titles. Elliot talked about this in the first hour. Using titles to get people out of positions they're already in. Like a team's not going to allow someone to make a lateral move. You're not going to be able to talk to someone if they're making a lateral move. Like the Tampa Bay Lightning aren't allowing Matthew Darsh talk to talk to another team about an AGM position. The Carolina Hurricanes are not allowing Eric Tulski to talk to another uh, organization about an AGM position. These are lateral moves. They're not allowed. But promotions, you don't get in the way. You don't get in the way. And for Jason Spezza, you know, uh, I know he still has term on his Maple Leafs deal, but is the the GM title the way that you get Jason Spezza out of the Maple Leafs contract, get him out of the Maple Leafs organization, or does Fenway Sports need to be more creative about it? And that's why I sort of joked with Elliot, like, should we should we follow the Liverpool <laughs> Twitter feed to see the announcement that they've signed Jason Spezza or the Boston Red Sox or any of the other? <laughs> Any other entities that Fenway Sports Group uh, own here? Anyway, I, I just kept I just kept in my own head hearing echoes of of Jason Spezza the whole time that said that Dubas was talking about about bringing in managers. Anyhow, anything else jump out at you here? 
Not particularly. Like I, I think, um, I mean, the timing of it was incredible. And, and you know, that Kyle is very much a wrestling guy. And I know that this wasn't, you know, and Elliot said, don't, don't start the rumor mill now because, you know, some people were getting ahead of it, but I think even if it was yeah. done and it wasn't on purpose, it is still one of the greatest things that's ever happened because I love when hockey turns into wrestling and I know you do as well. And we need more heels in, in yeah. hockey and uh, maybe in Toronto, <laughs> Kyle Dubas is one. Yeah, we'll uh, that, that is certainly interesting. And you know, the wrestling in connection in Pittsburgh with, uh, with sports media there runs through Mark Madden. You know who uh, sure does. Who worked for WCW for a number of years and, and asked the question at the at, at the presser as well. I'll be curious to see the relationship uh, between Madden and uh, and Dubas to say you know nothing of you know the relationship between you know Rossi and Yoey and um, and Kyle Dubas as well. Anyway, um, so more news to come. We would imagine the next little while from the Pittsburgh Penguins as they uh, today announced Kyle Dubas as the president of hockey operations. Bef- uh, before that press conference, though. Uh, we heard from Brad Treliving, uh, ex-general manager of the Calgary Flames, now GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, we'll run down a couple of things that uh, that uh, that he had to say earlier today, uh, starting with being in Toronto. Let's just go sort of, you know, knock these down one by one here. Here's Brad Treliving on being in Toronto. You know, I've seen people sit in the seat before and, and they talk about, Um, It's Toronto and until you're here, I don't think you really understand it as we were going through this process with Brendan and we're talking uh, to my family and my girls and and sort of the the, the close network that I come uh, that that I rely on and lean on uh, We kept coming back to it's the Leafs and You guys are all you you live it every day from the outside We don't get to live it But there's a special feeling when you come in here as a visitor when you come in here scouting when you come in here as uh, when you were young as a fan it's the Leafs. It, it, it means something. Um, and so to me, I sit in front of you today excited, humbled, um, looking at this as a great opportunity, but also know this is a great, great responsibility. There's a responsibility to the fans, um, the people that follow this team, the people that work here, um, but our players. You know, to me, that's, that's where we want to get to. I've got a responsibility to that group here to help them get to the level that we're trying to attain to. You know, that's um, that's something that every uh, either player or coach or manager echoes. Um, this is Toronto. It's different. It's it's special. Uh, ghosts of Maple Leaf Gardens, all the successes, all the failures, all of it. Um, and th- the one thing that remains a constant through all of it is I think a lot of people wonder, okay, if you can be successful here, what does that mean for you? What does that mean for your legacy? You know, Maddie, I brought up the point a couple of different times that, you know, the easiest street to the Hockey Hall of Fame runs through the Toronto Maple Leafs organization. If you're successful with the Maple Leafs, um, both geographically and metaphorically, the Hockey Hall of Fame is really close. Um, if you can have any type of success with this organization and that winks at, you know, uh, legacy and, and history and all those types of things. But it's 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 almost become... A default because it's true that these are some of the things that people generally have to say when they sign up um, for the Toronto Maple Leafs experience, and it is an experience, and it is, you know, there there are no quiet media days for players, no quiet media days for coaches, for managers, for ownership. Nothing is quiet about the Maple Leafs. It's all 
noisy and it's all out in public. But with all that brings opportunity and listen, don't need to tell Brad for living that he's, you know, he's a, he's a, a veteran manager here in this league. So no surprises in that opening statement. What did you think? Yeah. And, and the fact that, and again, like you said, he's kind of supposed to say those things, but I, he, Brad has always come off as a really genuine guy. And I know that in, I know that a lot of guys do, but like when Brad was talking there, like I, I really felt like he was ready for the moment. He was making jokes. He was, you know, and talking about Toronto. I mean, that's one way to really uh, make yourself loved by a fan base is to talk glowingly about the city you're going to. But on the Hall of Fame thing, it's true. Like, if you were to ever win a Stanley <laughs> Cup, you know, as the, the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs, you're, the, the door is wide open for you to get in because you've done something that, you know, nobody has done in over 50 years. And that, that is something almost we're you know, we're closing in on 50 on 60 years the way it's going right now. So I, I do agree with you that it does hold a lot of weight. And that's why a lot of people want the opportunity to have that job. And I think that's something that, you know, people tend to forget the center of the hockey universe, all that other stuff. But it is true. People want mm. to work for this organization because it's an ego thing. They want to be that guy that wins the championship. But of course you want to be the guy. What you're, I mean, you're competitive in, in any capacity. If you're a coach, if you're a manager, you're an assistant coach, you're a, a trainer, you're, you're anybody in the organization. I mean, let's not forget, like, competitive juices just don't, don't turn off when you stop playing. And, you know, Brad played. Um, and just because he stopped playing didn't mean that he stopped competing. And that's true of, you know, Brendan Shanahan. That, that's true of, of, of anybody in that capacity. So um, will it be interesting to see, I mean, the, the one thing about Brad Treliving, and this story is well told, his reputation is he's in on every conversation, right? The Cal- when he was the manager of the Calgary Flames, you know, Brad, Brad Treliving was, whether he was in every deal or not, obviously he wasn't. But he was in and knew all the conversations that were going on around the NHL. That is his style. Brad Living's style as a manager is not to sit back and wait for phone calls. It's not to only pick up the phone and call when you have something to propose or talk about. He knows the conversation going on with every team around the NHL. That has been the reputation that he earned as manager in Calgary with the Flames. Okay, here's uh, Brad Living on well, under the hot button topic, Austin Matthews. I've had a chance to communicate. I communicated with a few players. It's it's been a busy couple of days. I communicated with Austin via text. Um, I know Judd. I've got a strong relationship with Judd. Um, you know, there's a, there's a there's a great personal relationship, but uh, Judd's excellent at what he does. Um, You'll find from me, Terry, we're not going to get into any public discourse about contracts. I, obviously, we know where these contracts are at. Um, Austin is, is one of the elite players in the world. You know, we're not talking about a, a good player in the, in the league. We're talking about an elite player in the world. Um, getting, getting to Austin is a priority. Um, but, but outside of the contract stuff, number one is just getting to build that relationship. You know, it's not walking down and, and, and trying to arm wrestle about contracts. It's getting down and getting Austin, a ch- me getting a chance to meet him. But more importantly, having Austin get a chance to meet me, know what we're about and, and just, just, just talk a little bit. So that's priority number one. Um, we know all the things as it relates to all the players in their contract situations um, and the timing and all the challenges ahead of us. Um, but we're, we're prepared to, to, to get after it. So I'm, I'm excited to not only get a chance to meet him, um, but thrilled to, to be able to work with them. 
you know, I think a lot of us, um, I shouldn't say that. How, how, how am I going to say this? I don't think that all the hand wringing and nervousness that a lot of Maple Leafs fans have about Austin Matthews' future in Toronto is really warranted. I still think that Elliot talked about this and has mentioned this a number of different times as well. And, you know, Brad talked about, you know, his rela- his relationship uh, with Judd, and that's Judd Moldaver of, of Wasserman, um, who represents, uh, amongst other players, Austin Matthews and Roman Yossi and Carter Hart, etc. He's got a really nice stable of players. Um, I, I think the relationship there between Brad Living and Judd Moldaver is a good one. I think there's going to be a feeling out process between Matthews uh, and Brad Living, And I think the one thing that the Maple Leafs, you know, with, with Dubas, you can kind of say it was easy because there's a history there and you can see the direction and the communication has always revolved around the Toronto Maple Leafs. And now the conversations between Austin Matthews and Brad Treliving begin. And I don't know that I want to say they start at zero because I don't know how many people start their relationship here in, in hockey. If you've been in it for a few years, starts at zero. Um, but this is going to be, you know, I think part of what Matthews wants is to see, you know, uh, an articulation of what the plan is and where this team is going to be and how Bradshaw Living is going to behave and what he is going to do and what type of team he's he's interested in, in icing here and what the future holds uh, for someone like Austin Matthews. I, I, I tend to agree with Elliot that I don't think this is going to be a long-term deal for Austin Matthews, but I do think there is going to be a deal I don't know, four years, take your pick, for Austin Matthews here in Toronto. Does it happen before July 1st? Uh, does the calendar flip uh, after July 1st where Maple Leafs fans get nervous about the no-trade clause and, oh, is Matthews going to walk for nothing? I think he stays. I just don't think it's a long-term deal. Uh, your thoughts on Brad Living's comments on Austin Matthews, Maddie? I think that the Leaf fan base breathed a sigh of relief when they went, oh, thankfully he's spoken to Austin Matthews and Judd Moldaver, and he's really (laughs) into this job. And you can just imagine the thoughts that were going through their heads. But um, Brad talked a lot about building relationships in his press conference today. And and I, I, I agree that that is something that is super important because he's coming into this new, he does know a few people like, you know, he had TJ Brody and Mark Giordano in Calgary he talked about, you know, how he knows Luke Shen a little bit. So, and, and he's a free agent, but yeah. that was an important thing for, for Brad in the press conference was talking about, you know, those relationships I'm with you. And I, and I always have been, I always thought that the Austin Matthews deal was going to be of the three year variety. I don't think it's going to be anything more than that. And then they'll kind of reconvene and see where things are. But um, I think I think re- if Austin Matthews isn't signed by, you know, July 1st, there's not an extension there. And I don't think that that's going to happen. I do think that the fan base is going to get worried, but he wouldn't Austin Matthews wouldn't decide on his future because Kyle Dubas was or wasn't here. I think that is pretty safe to say because, you know, like like Brad talked about, he has a good relationship with Judd Moldaver, who's Austin Matthews agent. And like. I'm not, I'm not concerned about any of that. I, you know, like you said, he needs to know what the plan is and then you kind of go from there. Yeah, sign a three-year deal to your point, And then, you know, when Malkin's deal is done in, uh, in Pittsburgh. Oh, you're starting that already. eh? Oh man. Jeff is just, he is circling <laughs> okay. the town with the pitchforks and, and fire. Uh, yeah. Not going to happen. Uh, let's hear Brad for living on Sheldon Keefe. I'm joking. Everyone joking. Here's for living on Sheldon Keefe. 
I have had a chance to communicate with Sheldon. I, I didn't, you know, I, I, I joked with him a little bit on the phone. I haven't, I don't have a relationship with Sheldon. We, we spoke a couple of times years ago. Um, but I've had a chance to talk to him. I'm going to get with him. You know, there's a lot of things that are priorities. Sheldon is as, as well. Um, and as I said to him, it's a little unique situation, right? We can call it whatever we want, right? We, we, we're all big boys here, you know. Um, there's been a change. Um, you know he's in a, he's in a he's in a unique situation, but that's you know that's the business. Um, my outside lens of Sheldon, I look at a team was 115 last two the two years as, as a full time coach 115 points 111 points. Um, I think he's a really good coach. Um, my view is determining whether a guy's good, bad, or or indifferent. You have to work with him. You have to get to know him. So we're going to sit down and we're gonna we're gonna go through it. Um, I'm coming in with no preconceived notions. I went to Calgary nine years ago. Um, Bob Hartley was there. Didn't have a relationship with Bob. Bob coached, I think he was a coach of the year my first year in, in Calgary. So I think Sheldon is, has done a lot of really, really good te- things. I look at how a group of really skilled players has gotten better at, you know, in checking and, and defending and doing those things that you need to win. So we're going to sit down and we're going to have a thorough process and try to do it as quickly as possible and, and, and come to a conclusion. Uh, I, I want to package that one up and, and back that one up. Pause on a comment on that one, Maddie. Uh, I want to get to the uh, the Brad Tree Living comment here on the core four. I know we're kind of getting pressed on time here with Spencer Carberry calling at the bottom of the arrow. Let's hear Brad Tree Living on the on the future of the core four. Yeah, you always hear these words, you know, big words, culture, and, and, and I, I sometimes think it gets overused and overplayed. <clears throat> the good things here is we got really good players, okay? Uh, you look at where these players are drafted. Right, you just have to pick the number where they're drafted. There's a lot of pain to get to get good players, um, so that having those players excites me. Um, and they, like I said, they're world class players. We're going to review everything. You know, I I I I want to you know stress strongly. I, I'm not about coming in and making a statement. Right, you can throw a body under the tarmac and it it might look good for a headline, but are you are you getting any better? At the end of the day, it's about getting better and. And just being different doesn't necessarily make you better. The other thing I'll say on that is, and, and again, this, I'm coming in from an outside lens. You know, this, this, this idea of the core four and, and all those types of things, my job is to protect them, right? It's to protect them. And I'll, I'm first fiercely protective of my players. But this can't be about the core four. This is about the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's not about four players, not about two, it's not about one. It's about the 23 guys that we're going to have in this organization. So I understand the spotlight's bigger here. I understand um, we're so fortunate to have all you people that that care greatly about uh, this team because of the fan base we have. But it's about the Leafs and the success of this team or or whatever tr- or whatever um, challenges we have isn't because of four guys or two guys or one guy. It's about the group. And uh, for a manager coming in, I'm I'm pretty lucky to have the talent that those four represent, as well as everybody else on this team. But you're not opposed to it. We will look at all things. We will look at all things. But on the other hand, uh, it's interesting the way that Brad Tree Living almost went out of his way to mention how hard it is to acquire good players, how there was a lot of pain involved in acquiring Austin Matthews in Mitch Marner uh, in William Nylander. Um, I, I thought that was really interesting the way that he went out of his way to mention, uh, 
good players are hard to get. So if anyone thought that Brad Tree Living was coming in like a cowboy and saying, open the doors, we're firing bodies out, uh, yes, again, at least initially. But having said that, the caveat at the end there being, we will look at all things. I think that was a really smart, safe press conference by a veteran general manager who understands the marketplace, understands what uh, comments can catch fire. Look, you know, one of the first things that Brendan Shanahan mentioned uh, to kick off the press conference today was one of the things that was appealing from the Maple Leafs point of view is that Brad Tree Living uh, has worked with a Canadian team before and understands um, understands the pressures, understands the dynamics, understands what can cause a, a fire controlled or otherwise. Um, and has, you know, uh, learned on the job what it's like to manage a Canadian hockey team. Uh, we'll talk plenty more about uh, Bradtree living here in the uh, the days and weeks to come on this program. Uh, ditto for Kyle Dubas, the president of hockey operations for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, that story continues to get juicier and juicier, and we'll see if somewhere down the road sooner than later, Jason Spezza enters the chat in Pittsburgh. We have to hit a break. Uh, when we come back, we'll hear from Spencer Carberry. I'm going to actually stop talking about Dubas and Tree Living here for a brief amount of time, but for uh, for those in Toronto, there is a, uh, an association with Spencer Carberry. Leaves the Toronto Maple Leafs bench as an assistant coach to take over the head coaching responsibilities and duties and obligations with the Washington Capitals. Spencer Carberry, head coach of the Caps, joins me next across the Sportsnet Radio Network. It's the Merrick Show on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. Covering the Raptors in depth like no one else. The Raptor Show with Will Lou. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. We will uh, detour, if ever so slightly, away from the uh, the Kyle Dubas Pittsburgh Penguins news and the Brad Tree Living Toronto Maple Leafs news to another big news story around the NHL, and that is Spencer Carberry, who becomes the new head coach of the Washington Capitals. He joins me now. Spencer, thanks so much for doing this. How are you today? Well, thanks for having me on, Jeff. I'm uh, doing very well. Thanks. Well, uh, the, the the pleasure is mine, and I, I think we all saw the news and said. You know, it kind of felt like it was heading this direction eventually. Anyhow, like the 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 idea of 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 you going back to Washington kind of felt, you know, a little bit hand to glove. You were sort of considered the one that got away from the Capitals organization. Do you did did you feel along the way that this was destined to happen at some point? I I don't think in the in the moment um, in the season and as you're in the grind and that but but when the process started that's when exactly what you described is sort of where my head uh, started to go of of the familiarity with the organization having worked with a lot of the young prospects having built relationships with even some of the veteran players from just being around uh, the organization for for mm-hmm. a few years. Um, you're exactly right. That's where my head started to go as, as the process started. Now, j- just to give all of our listeners and viewers here s- some context here on on how you were appreciated in Washington. I mean, it, it seemed as if, you know, 
uh, during this process, it, it felt like very much there was a moment where Brian McCullen just said, let's just end this and, and get this deal done and, and, and bring you into the Washington Capitals organization. You know, I, I had someone mention to me that, you know, that, that when you did go to, to Toronto uh, for your, your, your NHL contract at the Capitals said, look, just stay here and we'll match the NHL money. But I know it was important to you to, yeah. to get the NHL experience. Um, you know, how, how, how important was it for you to take that, that detour to the Toronto Maple Leafs before, you know, going back to, to Washington and going to your, to your first NHL head coaching position? How, how important was that? It was critical, and the amount of things that I learned over the last two years, um, and I already felt strongly, ab- and and I had a belief of what I was capable of um, as as a head coach. But going to Toronto and being in the organization, and um, being able to see the market, the team, work with some of the best players in the world, learn from Shell, like all of that stuff, just only prepared me that much more if an opportunity to, to be a head coach came up. And so that's, it, it was just so valuable. And, and I, I'm always going to be grateful to Kyle, the, the organization, Sheldon, uh, for taking a chance on me. And, and it's not like I had strong connections to them or the organization. They, they took a chance on someone that hadn't coached in the National Hockey League to, to come run um, their power play at, at a critical junction for the organization right for us to try to break through and, mm-hmm. and win the stanley cup and i um it's unfortunate we weren't weren't able to follow through on our goals but um like i said the, the valuable experience and being there for the last two two years was critical part for for my individual development is there is there something that you notice amongst you know high-end elite level athletes um, in hockey and, you know, you just, you know, just part of a, part of a bench that, you know, I mean, you, you handled, you know, Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and yeah. William Nylander, Morgan Riley go right down the list. And now you head to the Washington Capitals and, you know, there's Alex Ovechkin and Carlson and Backstrom and Oshie, et cetera, et cetera. Is there, is there something that you've noticed that they all, I mean, they're all different players, but is there anything yes. that superstar elite level players have in common? And if so, what is it? Okay, I will tell you this. This is what I've noticed, the common thread. The the drive that they have, so this is something that has to have been ingrained from a young age to get to where they are and be this elite. Their their drive as human beings and as athletes is, um, that's a real separator for me right away. And then the other thing which is interesting that I find is the confidence and belief they have in themselves. And so that's an interesting part from a coaching perspective is because you're going to be challenged as a coach. They see things at an elite level. They're able to do elite things. And so that's where you sometimes will get challenged on, are are we thinking next level? Like I can do this, this, and this. So this is why I'm doing this. And so th- those are two interesting that I've really taken from my experience and even having been around some of the, um, the, the capitals, great players is that drive. And then that um, confidence and belief in themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, there is uh, there is no lack of confidence for players like Alexander Ovechkin. Uh, that story is well told. No lack of confidence from, you know, defensemen like uh, John Carlson. When you look at this capitals team, 
Um, I mean, you're, you, you got a hand on the Ferrari here and you've got some Ferraris in the driveway that you're going to be steering, you know, what's the first order of business? I know here we are, you know, June 1st and training camp is, is months away, but you know, your reputation is well told you plan. I mean, you have a, a plan yeah. for things. Nothing sneaks up on Spencer Carberry. <laughs> when you look at, you know, what September, October, November is going to be like for you and the capitals, what's going through your mind? So it's exactly what you you just touched on is I, I need to spend this time and this is critical time for me to get integrated, but, but come up with a real clear, concise plan of, of what we look like in training camp, what we like in the preseason, what we look like from a structure standpoint and making sure that that is very, um, very clear to our group and, and the plan has been laid out. And so that's exactly what, what you said, what I'm going to spend my um, next few months doing. And I think part of creating a plan, and it's my first step um, as a head coach, is gather information. Gather information, listen to people, mm-hmm. listen to opinions, thoughts. Doesn't mean you have to take them. Doesn't mean th- that they're right. But you want to gather as much information from players, management, former coach, of, of what the strengths of this team, what's gone well, what hasn't gone well, this player looks his best when X happens. All of that information is, is what I'm hunting right now to then be able to put a plan in place to, to put our group in the best position possible to get, get back um, in the playoff hunt. Now, your team, and I'm speaking to Spencer Carberry, head coach of the Washington Capitals, your team is in a really unique spot, um, not yeah. just next year in the NHL, but the following year as well, and historically in the NHL as well. Uh, because you have a player who's chasing a very significant and once thought of unreachable number and unreachable record. And as Alexander Rovechkin chases Wayne Gretzky's goals record, um, I, I, I do wonder what goes through your mind. Uh, on the one hand, listen, I'm sure you'd love to be the coach behind the bench when he breaks the record. That would be spectacular. Uh, on the other hand, you're a coach and your job is to win. How do you, in your own mind, Spencer, how do you balance those two things? One, helping Ovechkin get an individual record and also balance that with team success. Are they mutually exclusive or are they more joined than I'm presenting them? So, so I, I think they're joined. And... And I think, you know, who dictates that is, is Alex himself. And if you talk to him, uh, he, he'll say the same thing. And, that, and, and he's not, that's not lip service. That's genuinely what his teammates will say about him, what people in the organization is. As um, he chases this record, and, and it's not something, some elephant in the room, like this is embraced and understood. And, but Alex uh-huh. wants to win. He, he wants to win while... Um, he's scoring a ton of goals. So, so where my head goes to your question of, as the head coach of the Washington Capitals, what when you hear that, where do you go? Is okay now. How do I put one of the greatest goal scorers of all time in a position to have success? How, how am I doing that? What does that look like? Where where can I set him up for success and use his best attributes and? We all know what a lot of those are and have seen it for years. And so that's my challenge or where my head goes to is, okay, how do we get him and set him up for success? And then ultimately he's going to be as our captain laying the foundation inside of our culture of like, we need to win. Don't worry about me getting the, like we need Mm -hmm. to win tonight. This is an important game. 
How do you, um, at the same time, okay, so there's the Ovechkin chase, there is winning, and there's also blending in younger players. Like, I, I don't think it's exactly a secret. Yeah. This is a big year for Connor McMichael. This is a huge year for someone like Connor McMichael. Um, and a lot of these guys that you had when you were coaching Hershey, you know, are starting to blend in here with the Washington Capitals. How do you do that? You know, on the one hand, there's winning and then there's, you know, developing and making sure players, you know, grow uh, with the Washington Capitals and understanding that these are pivotal years for a couple of players. I mean, there's a lot of balls that you have up in the air for this Capitals team. And yeah. I'm curious about youth. Like, how do you blend them into the lineup? <laughs> So my strategy with that and my, my belief is obviously young players getting put into the National Hockey League, it, it, it's a difficult, difficult league. And experience and age, there's there's no magic potion for, for that, of them getting their feet wet, gaining reps, getting experience, becoming comfortable, and being able to be a part of a winning team, Okay. But what I believe you can do, and, th- and this is the, mo- the thought process that I have, is I can help speed that up. So I can help Connor McMichael. Yeah, is he going to step into the National Hockey League next year and, and um, go from here to, to incredible height? No, but what I can do is try to help him make it a little bit quicker, become a second line player how can i help the process and speed that up whether it's through coaching whether it's through off ice stuff whether it's through him understanding and communicating clear messages to him so, so that's where my my head goes and my focus goes for these young guys is not that you need to be um, a top six player tomorrow and you have to do xyz it's how can we uh, speed this process up while they're playing in the in the national hockey league in a winning environment it's uh, it, it, it's a fascinating team. Like we, we, Elliot and I on the podcast or here on this radio show, I always talk about how, you know, the Washington Capitals are one of the most interesting teams in the NHL for, you know, all the reasons that we've just been uh, talking to as well. Um, also, you know, one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on today is to, is to let people get, get to know you a little bit better. And uh, a couple of things. One, uh, what do you want people to know about you? And two, who are some of your mentors growing up? I mean, mentorship is something we don't necessarily talk a whole lot about um, in sports, and I really think we should uh, talk about it more. Um, who are some of your mentors along the way? So that, that Jeff, is one of the uh, biggest reasons why I've been able to have some success at some level uh, through the 13 years that I've been coaching is I have been very, very fortunate who have been around some unbelievable coaches in indirect ways through training camps, development camps, Bruce Boudreaux, Barry Trotz, Butch Cassidy. Um, in Claude Julie, my first year that we were affiliated with Providence, got to watch him. Um, so, so the, and then go to Toronto and, and meet all these Jared Bednar, who I coach, Kale McLean, who's in Calgary, like all of these, I, I think of it like this. Like I was able to steal little tidbits from all these phenomenal coaches. Like I'll give you an example. Like uh, <laughs> learned a ton from Butch Cassidy and and how he saw defensemen and their impact on creating offense. 
it, it, it was fascinating. Mm-hmm. So now I, I walk away from those experiences, and now I go, wow, that's how you can use a D-man to create some um, extra offense in the offensive zone or how you activate him from here. So those um, people, there's too many to name that, that I've been able just just by – somewhat dumb luck and very fortunate to have been around and learned a ton from and been able to take that with me in my tool bag. Um, mm-hmm. some, something that people don't know, you know what it would be maybe though, and it'd be relevant to, uh, to your show is, is I coached a year in the Ontario hockey league. having never played major junior, obviously from, from out in Western yep. Canada. I, I coached a year in, uh, in Saginaw and man, a, incredible incredible experience for my development and seeing the young uh what a 2001 born 2000 born player looks like how he's learned his development curve how he was brought up by his parents like i i was totally eye-opened to that uh part in the ohl and the year i spent there and then just the, the talent level it's like a little mini nhl of Remember the division, the year I was there, the division, it was like London. Uh, um, Owen Sound was unbelievable. <laughs> Ryan McGill was there. Like the Sioux were a well-oiled machine. Yep. I, I remember, I'm like, this is a gauntlet. <laughs> this is a gauntlet. It and was the, a, the thing, every night. The, 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 the thing about Saginaw, too, and they'll, they'll host the Memorial Cup next year, they have an yes. owner that is all in. That, that yes. I'm telling you, man, they will... They like wh- no matter what the team needs, that owner spends, spends, spends to get it. That that is a, a yeah. all-in organization. Yes, and the, and the year I was there, actually Windsor, I think Windsor might have finished maybe third. They I think they lost in the first round, but they ended up winning the Memorial Cup. It was it. Um, yep. Yeah, I was just really like that. Kind of goes through wh- where I've been. It's like oh, I spent a year in Saginaw, but what a critical year for me and. Um, learning that league and learning the players in the Ontario Hockey League. That's great. Listen, um, you know, to, to stealing things from, uh, from other coaches is a great old saying, uh, greatness borrows, but genius steals. So uh, take it and run, Spencer. And listen, best of luck <laughs> with, the, uh, with, with, with the Washington Capitals. Uh, I, I know there are a lot of teams. I, I, think you've, I think you interviewed with four. That was the, the reports we kept getting, maybe five teams. I'm not sure. But uh, you landed at a place that looks, feels, and sounds very comfortable. Good luck next season with the Washington Capitals. Have a great summer. Thank you so much, Jeff. There he is, Spencer Carberry, head coach of the Washington Capitals. And yeah, that was the, uh, the, the Caps really did not want Carberry to go. Like, I, I think in the back of their minds, when he was coaching the Hershey Bears, uh, in the back of Brian McCollum's mind the entire time was, that is our next coach. Carberry is going to be our next coach. And then the Maple Leafs knocked and... Uh, again, like I mentioned to Elliot earlier and mentioned in the interview, uh, I'm of the belief that the, the Capitals offered to match the Maple Leafs deal. Uh, even though he was working in the American Hockey League, they were going to match the NHL deal to keep him uh, in the organization and keep him coaching with uh, the Hershey Bears. But, you know, for, uh, for, for Carberry's development, um, he chose the, NH- the NHL route uh, and then has come back now. As the head coach of the Washington Capitals, I, I know I don't know how deep he got with Nashville, but I know Nashville uh, was really on him, and they've turned their attention, of course, obviously to, to Andrew Burnett, who's the uh, the head coach there. But Carberry coming off of this year, like I, I think a lot of people at some point this year kind of realized this is probably going to be the last year that Spencer Carberry was an assistant coach. 
uh, in the NHL. And wherever he ended up and wherever the vacancies were, uh, Carberry was going to, uh, to, to, to fill one of those chairs. The new coaching hotness, I believe we referred to him a couple of different times. He was the, uh, the it coach uh, that a lot of people chased uh, this past season. Uh, okay, so a couple of things from today. Uh, Matt Marchese, only got a couple of moments here. So today was kind of the, uh, the, the, the general manager and the POHO day, the, the general manager, the GM day, and the president of Hockey Operations Day. Um, coming away from this one, we saw Brad Treliving in a very professional, very safe press conference, trying not to light any fires. And I think Kyle Dubas went, uh, went out the door and around the block probably to do the same, not cause any huge ripples in the water. But I have a feeling that both of them will have an effect with the organization probably sooner than later. Your thoughts on what we saw today? Yeah, it's, it's two guys that are going to organizations that they need some changes, right? And and both of them have the same aspirations. They want to win a Stanley Cup and not in like five years. They want to win it soon. So it was just super interesting. I think we had three that we heard from three people today that are in situations that, you know, those organizations want to win sooner rather than later. Talk about Spencer Carberry with Washington as well. I, yeah. I think it's going to be, you know, with Pittsburgh and Toronto. I'm curious to see because you talked about Brad bringing over maybe some players from Calgary. I wonder if Kyle is going to try yeah. and poach some of the players from Toronto and how that goes. Well, listen, the thing that we talked about with uh, with Tree Living, he's in on every conversation. And as he talked about in the press conference today, it's not as if he's, you know, foreign to, to Kyle Dubas. They're, you know, they're, they know each other well. He mentioned how he's a, a, a friend and he's close to, to Kyle Dubas. So I would imagine those conversations would happen. I imagine those conversations would happen thanks to um well thanks to the press conferences today <laughs> uh thanks to spencer carberry capitals head coach elliot friedman from hockey night and 32 thoughts general nick lance kennedy matt marchese maddie uh, will be hosting tomorrow i'll be in vegas for stanley cup media day so i will talk to you again on monday you get the marchese experience tomorrow across the sportsnet radio network thanks for joining me today